Hey, Enneagram friends, I'm Abby, an IEA accredited Enneagram coach and certified somatic practitioner. Today on the podcast, I am so excited to have Chichi Gorham sharing about her new book, The Enneagram for Black Liberation. In our conversation, she expounds on some of what she writes, sharing um, greater insight on these ideas around the Enneagram type as our armor and, and really this awareness that those who hold marginalized identities aren't always safe to put down that armor of their type structure. Chi-Chi contends that the Enneagram is not just a system for individual freedom and individual wholeness, but rather one that can move us towards collective wholeness and collective freedom and collective liberation. So Chi-Chi is a lifelong student of what it means to be fully human. She is a certified Enneagram teacher and practitioner. She's also an adjunct faculty with the Narrative Enneagram, which is where her, um, her practitioner certification is. And she also holds a master's of art in clinical mental health counseling, as well as a post-master's certificate in marriage and family therapy. So she has a wealth of knowledge to offer in this conversation today, and um, I hope that you will get her book as soon as you finish listening to this episode. I'm I'm telling you, when I had the chance to actually read her book, um, I read it in three days. I couldn't put it down. And so I'm excited to offer you uh, this conversation for you to get a chance to get to know Chi-Chi a little bit better and to listen in to some of the wisdom that she offers with regards to the Enneagram for Black Liberation. Well, thank you so much for being here, Chi-Chi. It's such a gift to get to sit into this space. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, And Chi-Chi, it has been such a gift to read your book. I'm so excited to be able to share um, with our listeners just some of the content and and some of the snippets of your work, but really to be able to unpack some of these pieces around the Enneagram and Black liberation. Um, You know, before reading your, your book and how eloquently you uh, tied the two as if they were never separated to begin with. Um, it's been such a gift to have that new framework and to really challenge some of the the conceptions that I had before reading your work. And so I hope that we can unpack some of those pieces. Um, so there's lots of places that we can go, but, but I'd love if you would just start off our conversation um, and, and kind of sharing a little bit about um, you know, one of the things that you you talked about in the book was being in Enneagram spaces and in teaching spaces. So I, I'm sure some of those were the narrative Enneagram where you did your training. Um, but having this awareness of what is being promoted is unpacking your armor and, and removing your armor as this essential piece of wholeness. And that being a very um, triggering experience of like, no, that that's that can't be the the truth for everyone. Um, and and really, you talked about this in your book, but I'd love for you just to unpack that a little bit of what that experience was like and what were some of the thoughts that you became readily aware of, of like, this can't be the truth for for everyone. That's a very privileged or very centered um, ideology around the Enneagram. Yeah, so there is, like you said, like you recapped, um, in many of the spaces I was in doing my training for, um, which I did my training through the narrative Enneagram. So that was most of it. And then I did a couple like an Enneagram and uh, business coaching and some other things, but um, I tended to be one of the only, or one of like maybe two or three in a room full of 35 people, um, black, black people. And I, you know, my first, I would say the first 
two classes. The first one was an intensive, so it was six days. And I was just, I just fell in love with the narrative method, with the panels. It was just a magical time. So I wasn't really thinking about that experience, you know, or of my experience as a black woman in that necessarily in that context. I was just like, I'm getting used to the, I'm getting to know this system and how it operates. And then after that, I was like, okay, I'm in, I want to do the rest of the trainings. And that's when like in the deeper dive and learning about the system, I kept having these internal questions of, but that doesn't, that wouldn't work for me. Right. (laughs) Like that. Um, And it felt at the same time, this was back in, I want to say 2016 was when I started my training with the narrative. Um, And I feel like at that time too, there was a rise in conversations around Brene's work, Brene Brown's work with vulnerability. Mm -hmm. It just felt like this on both ends, there were these conversations around vulnerability looking like being unarmored, being undefended, showing up as your truest self, wherever you go. And I was like, that sounds lovely. I would love to live in a world in which that is the case, but there are so many barriers. There are still so many threats to my safety and well-being that I know I can't always do that. Mm -hmm. And if the story is that to be healthy, I have to show up as undefended and unarmored, then you're introducing shame into something that shouldn't hold shame because my armor is necessary. It's not yeah. a thing. It's not a, um, if I confuse my identity with my armor, then I get into trouble, but my armor is not a thing of shame or a thing mm-hmm. that's unhealthy or wrong, right. Or yeah. a thing I should leave in my past because now I've evolved and I'm in a place where I can show up as my best self, my truest self. And so those were the, there were, there were times where, uh, in my training, those were the thoughts that I kept processing as I was gathering this information and learning. And, and a lot of it was, you know, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, there's something missing here. I think too, that because this culture that we live in is so um, white centric, people tend to I just got really distracted because there's a tiny little bird <laughs> sitting right by my window. Just wanted to hear the conversation. <laughs> okay, so sorry. <laughs> You're totally fine. Um, they just have never done that before. They, their little home is right there, but they never come to my window. And I'm yeah, like, oh, just exploring. Say hi today. <laughs> um, because the society is very white centric, um, it makes it really difficult, I think, for white folks to realize that there is a lens through which you view Enneagram work, through which you view everything, but you know, right. through which you view Enneagram work. So the conversations were as if that lens is the norm. That's mm-hmm. the, you know, this is neutral, not even the norm. This is just a neutral approach yeah. to the Enneagram. And I kept feeling like, no, this is not, this isn't neutral. This is a, a privileged approach to the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. So that's where a lot of this came from. Yeah. So as we think about then, um, you know, your Enneagram type as armor. So what then if, if the goal is not to, you know, come without, you know, total vulnerability without any armor, um, what feels like then the goal of of how we learn about the system with this understanding of armor? Yeah. I think the goal is to be able to create space between who I am yeah. which is much fuller, much broader, much deeper than just mm-hmm. my personality type, just my survival strategy. Um, so the goal is to create space between who I am and these survival strategies that I use to navigate the world. Yeah. Um, 
because in that space, I have access to choice as to when to put up the armor when I need it and when to put down the armor when I don't need it. Um, Mm -hmm. And within that space, I also have access to freedom because if I think of myself as the survival strategy, as a type structure, um, I think that I'm free but it's my survival strategies running me. And for a lot of us, like we need, we still need our armor. We still need to be able to survive in a harsh world, but confusing our identities with our armor doesn't lead to thriving, Yeah. right? So being able to create that space to say, in this, in this conversation, in this relationship, in this community, I don't need to be, I don't need the armor in this scenario. I can put it down and have access to ease and joy and support and connection and love in the ways that I truly need and desire. Um, And when I need the armor, I can put it back up. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if, you know, this might be too hard to just immediately recall, but if you can recall a moment when you had kind of an awareness of like, this is an appropriate space for my armor. So like, this is an appropriate space for um, like my type structure to protect me for it to take the brunt of what's going on or for it to smooth things over maybe um, to to help me get my need met of being seen, whatever it might be, um, where it feels like there's a conscious awareness of like my type is showing up and that feels okay because this doesn't feel like a, a space for vulnerability or doesn't feel like a, a space that's honoring of who I am. And so like my type shows up for me. Most white spaces. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I think for me too, also places that are, if I don't know, a new space where I don't know what to expect, yeah. I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm exploring for the first time, the requirements of the space, who is there? Is it actually, uh, my armor is up until, I determine that the space or the person or whatever is safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a new setting, it's usually up. But this makes me, this brings to mind the, I mentioned this a bit in the book as well, but for black folks and for people with marginalized identities in this society, there are multiple layers of armor. So mm-hmm. I have my own type structure as my armor, but then with it, but then there are all the other layers, right? Where <clears throat> as a black woman, often one of the armors that's layered over whatever your your primary your type, type is, is eightness. Um, mm. It's this story that I have to be strong enough to handle anything. I have to be the strong black woman uh, trope, you know, really fits into that storyline of I have to be strong. I I can't look weak. I can't look, I can't let things get to me. I have to just be able to move on and power through whatever the world throws at me. There's that layer of armor. There's also like a six layer of armor of hypervigilance, making yeah. sure to be prepared for the bad things that that might happen, um, making sure that you are alert, you're paying attention to all the signs. Um, there's a layer of sevenness, I think, also in uh, in response to pain and tragedy and suffering, which happens on a regular basis, to try to lighten things because it feels so heavy that you might get stuck and drown in, you know, the the sadness and the overwhelming nature of it all. And so there's all of those different multiple layers of armor, um, which is why, which is what felt really honestly um, sad to me as I was processing this over the last few years of there's, there's so many layers of armor to get through before I get to me. Yeah. Right. And so 
it's a lot more unlearning than just like, oh, you have like your one Enneagram type and, you know, you needed it when you were a kid, but you don't need it anymore. So now you can put it down. It's like there are all these extra layers of armor that Black folks and people with marginalized identities have to hold and carry to make it through um, the world on a regular basis. And that's so much, you know, it's a lot of work to put all of those down, to realize that we're holding all of those up and to put all of those down, so. Yeah, yeah. And even just thinking, you know, as you say, it's a lot of work to realize and then let alone put all those those pieces down. And so then I just think about some of the spaces that I, um, you know, have experienced and observed and watched and participated in that can get into trivializing the Enneagram and, oh, yeah. and just realizing like, gosh, it's so unhelpful. Like it's unhelpful on a lot of levels, but then also unhelpful in realizing like the tremendous tool that this could be even mm-hmm. when, you know, it is, yeah. And then also when it is being applied and there's self-awareness and there's practices and trying to um, loosen some of that type structure so that there's more awareness between me and the type, um, that not just being a cakewalk, like that being extremely difficult too. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's also interesting. I when you um, you wrote about it in the book too of uh, there being this this overarching assumption of of black women with uh, there being type eight qualities, mm-hmm. um, and it was interesting reading that because um, there are so many spaces. Um, so I I come from a Protestant Christian faith tradition, and when women come to me and say that they're two, my instant thought is like you're probably not, yeah. um, because the same thing happens of like this stereotype of like you should be like a giving, submissive, sacrificial woman, mm-hmm. and that's that's your place. Um, and so it's, I love that you bring that up because in a different context, there's almost a sense of like we get so fixated fixated on our type, but there's so many cultural norms and expectations. Yeah, that we also have to unpack and, and have some awareness around. And um, yeah, so that's really helpful too. Mm-hmm. And it also gives language to to the things that we tend to be punished for outside of those stories. So like yeah. within the context of uh, Christianity, right? If you don't show up as a two, as a woman, if you are, you know, um, not willing to be on the children's care team and whatever else it is, yeah. right? Like, then you are considered like that you're doing something wrong. You're not, yeah. you're not living into your purpose as a woman. Yeah. And the same for black women, right? If you are not, um, if you don't learn how to speak softly and, um, you know, gently and show up, really show up kind of like a two, you're demonized for being too aggressive, too loud, asking for too much, right? Um, so it's like, in one context, in the context yeah. of where you're expected to look like a two, but in other contexts, um, for Black women, it's like, you're not strong enough. You're demonized for not being strong enough, for not being able to handle, you know, the the the, the line that I was raised with within my family of women was, so what? When something hard happens, so what? It happened to your cousin. It happened to your aunt. It happened to all these other people. This is just yeah. how life is. So what? Carry on, you know? Yeah. So there's that. There's there are all of those layers too of of why it makes it so hard to put down the armor as well, which I think is where community care comes in because we often are requiring people to show up in the way that benefits us, mm-hmm. as opposed to allowing them to show up in the way that helps them be free. Yeah, 
For sure. I, um, you talk about that concept um, a lot in the book, but specifically this idea that um, being cognizant, uh, if you are somewhere, someone with a centered identity, being cognizant of how your type might, and your unaware, you know, your lack of awareness around it, your inability to, to put it down when you are safe to do so, might actually inhibit someone from having the space to, to set their armor aside when it could have been safe for them to do so. Would you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I I think that, I think this is everybody's work, but I also believe that those who have access to more power and privilege in our society um, are particularly tasked with paying attention to how your armor can also be used as a weapon in a way that makes it less safe for other people to put down their armor. Um, Those were, that's how I was feeling in my trainings with, the Enneagram in those very white spaces was, yeah, it's really um, easy for you to say that I should show up undefended in this space. But have we, have you explored the ways in which you show up or the ways in which you wield your armor and how that can be a deterrent to me actually feeling safe enough to put down my armor? Yeah. Um, and I think that there's a lot more conversation that needs to happen in that space as opposed to just a a blank requirement of like, everyone needs to just learn how to be more undefended. It's like, if you have, the easiest examples always for me are like um, using type one, the type one armor. I think of that as, you know, a lot of um, religion, specifically I'm thinking of Christianity, but uh, I think a lot of religious spaces too, where there's a very clear, you know, this is right, this is wrong. Here's the rules. Right. These are the rules. This is how you you make it to heaven. If you don't do it, you get kicked out. It's very much in line with that one type one story. Um, If somebody who holds the type one goodness as armor also is centered and has access to power and privilege and gets to make the rules about what is right, what is wrong, uh, what punishment is for people who are wrong, then we're living in their in their singular story yeah. of how life should be, what is good, what is bad, which does not allow room for the other eight versions of truth. Mm-hmm. It doesn't allow room for people who are deemed bad by this yeah. person who has power to be able to flourish. But we're just existing in this, this person's singular story or this group of people's singular story because they have the power to create and sustain systems that protect their singular story. So yeah. that's where I think there, there needs to be more conversation around how um, the, the centralization of, of power can also cause our uh, armor to be used as a weapon. I think the example I used in the book was, you know, if a, if a white woman is raised to believe that black men are threats, um, Right. And so she really, truly believes she's protecting herself when she crosses to the other side of the street, when she sees a black man coming or when she calls the police, when she thinks that she sees something going on. Right. She she believes that she's protecting herself. That is her armor to protect herself. And yet that same armor is being weaponized against somebody else because she is living in this one singular story that these people are unsafe. That's what Mm -hmm. I was always raised to believe. They're unsafe. So I'm protecting myself. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, and, and that yeah, um reading through that example, it's it's amazing um 
how clearly it feels when you are just reading someone's words of like, yeah, that is not okay, but how easily your bias comes in in the moment of, of you know, it, even thinking about said hypothetical woman of like, this is the narrative and the story and, and the whatever that's come into that. Um, and, and just how uh, easily we can go on and, and not reassess or evaluate or consider or ponder or be curious about those spaces of like, well, why did I do that? Like, is there actually right. a concern? Yeah. Um, I, I love the, the language that you had around, um, you know, having an awareness of what your armor is so that you know, know when to, um, to allow it to, to be set aside or to have some wiggle room even between it. Um, and so I'm curious as you think about that and your own experience, um, what does that feel like when you are able to, um, maybe spaces where it feels, uh, like safe to put aside the armor, maybe what the experience is like of knowing like this is this is a space that I'm welcome and my armor is not necessary. It's mm, a great question. <clears throat> um, what what does it feel like? Is that yeah? Like, so what does it feel like, and maybe even how you intuitively know like this is the space and this is this is safe. This is okay. I can be present. I can be fully here. Yeah. So for me, part of my armor requires performance performing for acceptance and love and validation and to have value. And in the spaces where no one is impressed by my performance, but love me, like lo like want me to be there. Yeah. It's a reminder that I can set down the armor. I don't need to do anything here to, I don't, I don't, to be clear, I don't need to do anything ever to earn mm -hmm. love or to earn acceptance, right? Uh, I forget that when my type is running the show, when my armor yeah. is like, you know, fully present. Um, but those spaces help me remember, like help yeah. me reconnect to that part of me that goes, oh, right, <laughs> this story isn't the only true story. I get to show up and be all the other parts of me mm -hmm. and still be loved and still be accepted. And that's what's being offered in this space. So I can put down this, this energy, this need to be seen as exceptional or, um, you know, offering something of value that makes you want me around. You already yeah. want me around. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's uh, one example, I would say. Um, and the way that feels in my body is like an exhale, you know, yeah. like a, I don't have to, I don't have to carry it here. Um, now, I don't think that, I think one of the things that's important to me with Enneagram work is the realization that there isn't like a arrival point, right? Yeah. It's a, you're continuously growing. I think people forget that. We, for, we like, you know, it's like, I wanna get to the point where, okay, now I know my armor, now about, I know about my type, so I'm good. Mm -hmm. I think what's, what has been helpful for me in my process is to ask, <clears throat> where is this showing up today? Instead of like, oh yeah, I used to be more blank, you know, like five years ago or 10 years ago. And I say this because even in those spaces where I do feel safe to put down my armor, it's still helpful for me to go, okay, but in what sneaky ways am I still performing here? Because yeah. I am, you mm -hmm. know, it's like, it will, it might not be the obvious ways anymore, but there's still subtle ways. Maybe it's mm -hmm. not in this, um, it's not in the like main part of our relationship, but in this other smaller part, I still feel like I have to perform for your love, right? And mm -hmm. if I'm not, if I'm not bringing awareness to how is it showing up 
now, even yeah. though I'm I'm less defended than I would be in another situation, in what ways am I still um, armored here to help myself again? Because it could be that I really do need it, um, but I won't know that unless I bring awareness and curiosity to it. So yeah. it's like, okay, is this really a space where I need that? Or is this a space where I can practice putting that down too? Yeah, for sure. When I think it's helpful even um, that you named kind of like that somatic pri- profile of like, it feels like an exhale. Because I think, I mean, there's just, and you talk about it in your book too, this tremendous wisdom that comes um and in both you know your body taking in information but then also like communicating with yourself of what's going on of like oh i'm actually really afraid right now or i feel very safe right now right and so letting that that wisdom of your you know your somatic felt sense um to to be a conduit for explaining how you feel and and what's going on and and kind of the narrative of, of what this space feels like um because i'm I'm sure in a lot of ways, knowing what it feels like to be safe also helps in contrast of like, no, this isn't safe right here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it really just helps to, it helps us to not go based just off of our stories. Because for example, my story could be telling me, um, I need, I need to be seen a certain way. Um, in this conversation to be deemed lovable or acceptable. Right. Um, or actually that's not even the example I will use because sometimes I think um, what I experience more often <laughs> is my story or my head saying, oh, we're fine. That's not, this doesn't bother me. Everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the other layers of armor that I carry, right? Everything's fine. I can handle this. This is not a big deal. Then I drop into my body mm-hmm. and I'm like, my heart is tense. It feels like there's a brick, you know, a couple bricks sitting on my chest. Uh, It's hard to take a deep breath. Um, My, my, you know, legs are restless, you know, like noticing that my body is telling me the actual truth (laughs) that I'm not okay, that Mm -hmm. I might need help, that I might need support, even though my story is saying, no, you got this. Everything's fine. You can power through this. And so that's also another way that the building a relationship with our bodies can invite us back into the reality of what's really happening, the truth of what's really happening and not just our story of Mm -hmm. what, how we want reality to be. It's like, yeah, sure. I would like to be impenetrable and untouched by what's happening. And my body is telling me you're very touched. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. What I think even in that, you know, that ability to, to um, drop down in and notice that could also be such a gift in being able to, um, almost offer the kindness of what you might need in that moment. You know, do you need to just take a deep breath and honor the fact that like this is heavy and there's sadness or that I'm restless and nervous or anxious, whatever the emotion is. Um, Because if we don't have enough awareness around what's going on in our system, uh, then we we can't offer the kindness of whatever resources we have available, whether that's, you know, hanging out with a friend or singing a song that feels uplifting or whatever it is. Um, But we have access to these tremendous internal and external resources but if we don't know that we need them we don't ever reach out and then we just keep you know i feel like for me my type eight structure there's so much like just shouldering things um and if i don't check in then i don't realize like how much my posture you know fist clenched is just trying to like bear through something um yeah yeah. and 
to that point also, um, if we don't pay attention, we can't give ourselves the soothing we need, but then also we will repel the soothing that, because somebody else might notice, you know, yeah. in my example that I'm not okay. But if I'm just really trying to live by the story of like, no, I'm fine. Then whatever care that they offer, I'm like, I don't need that. Yeah. You know, I'm good. I don't need you to take care of me right now. Meanwhile. <laughs> I do. No. Yes. Well, I think even that in some ways speaks to um, like the idea that you offer in the book of just like this collective wellness, right? You know, that being both in, um, you know, the like ripple effect, but also like in that example of having enough awareness to accept the invitation of someone else extending kindness, right? Like, so I, I wonder if you could just speak to that a little bit more, that collective awareness, because things are so individualized often in, in the Western tradition of the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. One of the ways that I love to use kind of the Enneagram in collective, just in in relationships with other people, is that I think an awareness of the other person's armor allows for me to be curious about what else is going on and not just believe their individual singular story, right? If I know that your armor is strength and, you know, you show up in a situation being really strong, then I I can be curious about, I wonder what else is happening. Yeah. Right. Because I truly, in my experience of working with my type, um, I noticed that my armor is much more prominent when my core fears are activated. Yeah. Right. So it's it's really always an invitation to me to go, oh, okay, you are really performing right now. You're really trying to, where is that fear of um, being seen as deficient or being abandoned? what brought that up, right? So I also think of that in terms of other people, rather than believing the like, oh yeah, she's strong enough to handle it. I'm curious about what else is going on. I can, and I don't have to, I'm not asserting that I know what's going on or that I am right and you're not, but it allows me to expand my, um, my understanding of you, my the way I show up with you and what I expect from you. Mm-hmm. Um, The other piece I mentioned earlier, which is um, how we tend to uh, expect others to show up in ways that benefit us. So if you always show up as the strong one, um, it lets me off the hook from being being strong, you know, taking charge, making decisions sometimes like, you know, um, because she's got it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so if you show up one day and say, actually, I don't want to make this decision or I don't want to be in charge of this project or whatever, I might require you to still show up as that person you've always been because it works for me. Yeah. As opposed to holding space to say, OK, let's explore something different. And I think that's part of our part of our gift to each other in, in collective spaces is to work on ourselves enough to be able to hold a broader, more compassionate lens for other people that includes the fullness of who they are, not just the stories that also benefit us. And then the, the other piece that I talk about in the book is, um, which we talked about here as well, just realizing the ways in which I can subject other people to my own individual story. Right. So you have to be interesting enough for me to want to hang out with you. Right. Mm -hmm. Or in nine different ways. Right. We do that where we think the way that I see the world is the way that the world is. Mm -hmm. So everything would be better if you thought if you if you thought about the world the way I do, if you approach things the way that I do, we'd have no conflict. Everything would be better. Mm -hmm. And so we subconsciously hold people to those same stories that we believe about ourselves. 
And in creating more space between ourselves and those stories, we are also able to create enough space to allow other people to be who they are and not require them to fit into our individual stories. Yeah, for sure. No, and I think even, um, you know, you um, say in the book, just this idea of like, um, and I, I think you're reflecting on your childhood, but um, of like, I don't want to be the strong one. Like, I don't want to be the resilient one. I don't want to be the the one that's mature and grown up and all these pieces. I want to be um, a and <laughs> Yes, right? And I, and I think it's this sense of like, we, um, over time, you know, we almost teach people how to treat us, like teach people how to expect things from us. And so that can be, um, you know, that can be doubly challenging and trying to have enough awareness of what is me and my armor. And then also have having to renegotiate relationships with how people treat us, right? Of of what they expect from us and, and what actually feels encouraging or praising and what just feels like you're pandering to my type and you're reinforcing this narrative that I have sneaking in of just keep being strong because that's how they like it or just keep performing or just keep being special. Um, yeah. 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 Um, I think that we could talk for hours. Um, and I just, I, I so appreciate uh, just how eloquently you you talk through the pieces in the book. I mean, we also didn't even talk about the individual types, right? That's all in the book too. So if someone yeah. is brand spanking new to the um, to the Enneagram, this book is also really accessible. Um, but I would love if you would just share uh, like how people can, can find your work, your book, where they can find you on social media, some of those pieces. Um, and, and I'll put it all in the show notes, but just for people to hear that too. Yeah, you can uh, find me on Instagram at the Enneagram for Black Liberation. Um, and you can also find me on my website at chichiagoram.com. Um, and those are the two main places. Okay. Uh, but the book is available everywhere. The audiobook is out now. That's also available. Um, so, yeah. And then outside of your book, um, what is some of the Enneagram work that you do? Like, do you, are you teaching um, in spaces? Are you accepting individual clients? What's some of the the work that they might connect with you and outside of outside of reading your book? Yeah, um, I'm teaching with the uh, the narrative Enneagram. I start I'm teaching the intro course that starts in June. So um, is that right? Yes, June and runs through July. Um, so for people who are new or want to deepen their understanding. It's like the intensive introduction to the, the Enneagram types through the narrative. So, um, but I'll be teaching with them in the future. Um, and then right now I don't have any other um, teaching offerings planned. I am running a cohort, two cohorts that are um, uh, collective spaces for Black folks to practice softness and to yeah. really explore what is our armor, who are we without the armor, what practices help us return to our fullest selves, and those will start in May. And I just opened it up for for um, registration yesterday, so um, not sure when this comes out, but that will be that'll be something that I hope to continue to offer, you know, um, throughout the year. Um, but yeah, that. I'm just taking it slow. I'm not doing, I'm not taking one-on-one clients. That was one of your other questions um, at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, and I'm, I'm really excited that you are are moving into being an adjunct faculty for um, T&E. Um, mm-hmm. And also, you know, just for those that are listening, um, that is, you know, that's a great program if you want to be certified, but also if you just want to learn more, you know, there's a lot of people that do some of the, the classes that are just trying to learn um, mm-hmm. because that is all helpful in increasing your self-awareness and the way that the narrative teaches um, is 
I mean, it is so, so, so helpful because it is panels where you are hearing people articulate their own experience from the lens of their type structure and you are having, you know, conversations with people next to you and really absorbing the information so that mm-hmm. it is not just like textbook answers. So for anyone listening, I highly recommend, especially knowing that you're going to be teaching this summer, that's going to be a great offering. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here, for uh, spending some time talking about your book and and sharing a little bit of of your experience and wisdom with us. Um, It's really been a gift to get to connect with you as as someone else from the the Narrative Enneagram um, and that that world that we're ever expanding. Um, So thank you for, for being in this space together. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was a lovely conversation. Hey, Enneagram friends. Thanks for listening to the episode. Thanks for being here and being curious. And I hope that you gleaned some wisdom and some gold nuggets of things that you can begin to practice and apply in your everyday life. If you found this episode helpful, would you do me a favor and share it with a friend? Just share the episode, share the podcast with others. That's a really great way uh, to have a shared language around things that you're learning and you're growing in, you're being curious about, but also that helps people find the podcast as a resource. Okay, friends, till next time.